1: Hey everybody! Welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, and today Mary Kay Cabot and I are doing the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast and in honor of Bark Week and our focus on Miles Garrett this week. We start off with a Miles Garrett topic, looking back at the 2017 draft, where Miles Garrett ranks among the players who were drafted before Patrick Mahomes went at number ten, and where he ranks among some other non-quarterbacks taken number one overall, going all the way back to when the Browns took Courtney Brown back in 2000. So here we go, our Tuesday podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. The way we go on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is Barkley, and of course, this is Miles Garrett. We're doing one player every single week, and this week we're kicking it off with Miles Garrett. And I thought, let's look back on the 2017 draft because the Browns, of course, chose Miles Garrett number one overall in that draft. It was also the draft that produced Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson but I, I guess the funny thing is when you look back on that draft you know the Bears get ripped on the Jaguars get a lot of teams get ripped on for passing on Mahomes and Watson but the Browns kind of never do honestly which speaks I think to Miles Garrett let's go back to that draft do you believe Miles Garrett has lived up to being the number one overall pick in that draft
0: You know, I mean, I think he has to a degree, but when you look back at the way that draft uh, shook out, I mean, I I think the first thing that comes to mind, and I wrote about this as the Browns were playing Kansas City in the playoffs, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, why didn't they think more of Patrick Mahomes that year, right? I mean, if the Chiefs thought enough of him to trade up significantly to get him, then why didn't the Browns really – Uh, give more thought to a player that could go down as maybe the second best quarterback of all time when all is said and done. Now, we don't know how it's going to shake out. Uh, That's a a big mouthful of something to say about Patrick Mahomes right now. But just from a talent standpoint, I think you and I both agree when we talk now, we see that kind of potential in him. Uh, It's going to take a lot to catch Tom Brady, but Patrick Mahomes just has such amazing, tremendous, natural, physical ability. That I don't think it's too far fetched to to speak about him in those terms. So what didn't the Browns see in him back then? And I think when I when I reported that out, what I I came to the conclusion is that they just were not on the same page as an organization. At that time, you had Sashi Brown at horrible odds with Hugh Jackson and you just can't run an organization like that. You're just not going to get anywhere when you have that kind of misalignment. Now I think people could argue, hey, most people didn't have Patrick Mahomes ranked where he where anybody would have taken him number one. Well, first of all, I asked John Dorsey, and he said unequivocally, they would have taken him number one overall had they had the number one overall pick. Of course, it's easy to say that in retrospect, but that, you know, that's what I'm told or that's what he told me. So uh, so there's that. But I think really, the bottom line was, there just wasn't organizational consensus at that time on a quarterback. You had Sashi and some others in the organization, and I'm told Hugh to as well, liking Mitch Trubisky an awful lot. You didn't really have enough people in the organization liking Deshaun Watson enough. Obviously, if they did, they would have taken him right there at number 12 instead of trading down. And so I think because they couldn't agree on a quarterback, they were like, hey, let's take the can't miss generational pass rusher, who is also arguably the highest rated player on almost everybody's board. And that's that's basically what happened. They they took the sort of surefire can't miss player in the draft because at that time they they were not on the same page on a quarterback.
1: It's so interesting to look back. And I think decades from now, people are going to look back on this draft and wonder what was going on. (laughs) Because when you look at the teams that didn't take Mahomes, that didn't take Deshaun Watson, of course, we've talked about the Browns. Uh, Chicago took Mitchell Trubisky. You had the 49ers who had not acquired Jimmy Garoppolo yet. The Jaguars had Blake Bortles. The Jets, I actually just looked this up. Josh McCown started 13 games for the Jets in 2017, and and they passed on him. Carolina, you know, the Chargers and Carolina both had quarterbacks. Cincinnati didn't take him. It's so interesting how that draft played out and how Mahomes. Look, let's be honest. The baseline of this conversation is that in any redraft, there's no argument. Mahomes goes one and Watson goes two. So that being said, based on how it all played out, Did the Browns, aside from taking a quarterback, which would have been what they should have done, let's take that out of the equation, though. Did they take the right guy there at number one? And has he lived up to that expectation of being an edge rusher taken number one overall?
0: Yes, it worked out for them beautifully. And that is why you do not hear anybody really complaining too much about the way that that draft went down, at least for now. We'll have to see how it goes over the next five or 10 years, because this thing is going to go on for a long time, talking about this very pivotal 2017 draft, which uh, changed the fortunes of several franchises. First of all, it completely changed the Chiefs franchise, obviously. I mean, they turned themselves into a perennial Super Bowl contender, and they could remain that way for the foreseeable future, depending on how things shake out there. Uh, It changed the Browns franchise In that, they got, again, a generational pass rusher who, if he stays on this trajectory and continues to play like this, he should make multiple Pro Bowls, multiple All-Pros, and he is a Hall of Fame talent. So if he keeps it up, he should end up in the Hall of Fame. And you can't argue with that, right? I mean, you just can't argue with taking a Hall of... You could do a lot worse, a lot worse than taking a potential future Hall of Fame player at number one overall. And that, again, that is why we don't hear people shouting from the rooftops and the mountaintops that they passed on on Patrick Mahomes. Now, you and I have talked about this many times. The more perhaps egregious error in all of this was not taking Deshaun at number 12, because you really could have made up for the whole Patrick Mahomes thing if you would have ended up with Deshaun at number 12. Then you get Miles and Deshaun out of that draft. That's a pretty darn good draft. But when you take it a step further, it looks as though, at least right now, that they made up for all of that by then coming back in 2018 and drafting Baker Mayfield. So you may have ended up with the best scenario for yourself that you possibly could have, By taking Miles there at number one, I mean, if you weren't going to take Patrick, you may have ended up with sort of the next best thing by ending up with Miles, Baker, and Denzel Ward. Three foundational pieces of what they hope will be a Super Bowl team.
1: We're going to do two things here. I'm going to, we're going to list some names. We're going to do two different sets of names here. The first is that 2017 draft. We're going to look at the guys that were taken ahead of Patrick Mahomes. So there's Miles Garrett by the Browns, Mitchell Trubisky by the Bears, Solomon Thomas by the 49ers, Leonard Fournette by the Jaguars, Corey Davis by the Titans, Jamal Adams uh, by the Jets, Mike Williams by the Chargers, Christian McCaffrey by the Panthers, and John Ross by the Bengals. So I I sent this out to our texters earlier. The only two guys that I can make any sort of argument for being in the same class as Garrett would be Jamal Adams who went sixth and McCaffrey who went eighth. And I still kind of find it hard to put those guys ahead of Garrett and in, in Adam's case. He's been a great safety. He struggled this year in Seattle, but he's, he's been fantastic. One of the best safeties in the game, but I lean towards the edge rusher and there's no way I could say that you would take a running back over an edge rusher, but those are really the only two guys in that group that went ahead of Patrick Mahomes that I would even, that I would put in the same class. Is is that fair of those names you heard?
0: Yes, that's absolutely 100% fair. And when I, when I look back at this draft, Dan, it just, I remember being so intimately involved with so many people that were making (laughs) decisions. You know what I mean? Like talking to people about this as they were making these decisions, even people involved in the Mitch Trubisky decision. It was It was weird. I mean, I, I talked to, you know, I had some things happen in that week. And I think that the people who were making the decisions for the bears, they were concerned that the Browns were going to trade up and take Mitch Trubisky. And that is why they jumped up and they took him. There were a lot of football teams that had Mitchell Trubisky as their number one quarterback on their board that year. And the Browns were one of those teams. He was number one on their, on their board at quarterback that year. There's no question about that, but they weren't the only ones. There were several teams, a number, probably a lot of teams that had him number one on their board and the bears again were concerned that the Browns were going to take him or even trade up that they would have liked Mitch enough. And who knows, maybe they would have that. They liked him enough that they may have packaged some things to trade up to get Mitch if the Bears hadn't jumped up and snatched him where they did. So that's another sort of little known aspect of this draft is, is that the Bears invested a lot. I can't even remember what, what did they give up? Do you, do you know what, what did they give up to get Mitch?
1: Uh, let's see. Unfortunately, I, I don't think they have it on this list that I have up. I, I can look it up here real okay. quick.
0: So that, that impacted the, the knowledge that the Browns loved Mitch Trubisky impacted how the Bears handled it because they knew they had to go up pretty darn high out of fear that the Browns were going to leapfrog up there and, and grab him. So that was another side note to this whole thing. And of course, it hasn't worked out in Chicago the way that they hoped it would. Now you've got Deshaun Watson wanting out of Houston. So there are so many storylines that have come from the top 12 of of this draft. I mean, it just kind of is the draft that keeps on giving.
1: So the Bears gave up the number three overall pick, a third round pick, which was 67th, a fourth round pick, which was 111th, and a third round pick in 2018. So they gave up a lot (laughs) to, to move up that one spot. Uh, which does tell you kind of maybe kind of confirms that idea that the bears were worried that somebody, including the Browns was, was going to trade up to maybe take Trubisky there at, at number two. Okay. I'm going to throw another list of names at you. So I went back and these are the players who went number one overall uh, going back to our buddy, Courtney Brown, players who went number one overall who weren't quarterbacks. The list is actually very small. So Courtney Brown in 2000, Mario Williams, that's a name I had kind of forgotten about. He went ahead of Reggie Bush. He's had a nice career. Jake Long, a tackle, first overall in 2008. Eric Fisher, first overall in 2013. And Jadavian Clowney, first overall in 2014. So that's the list of non-quarterbacks who have gone number one overall before Miles Garrett. Going back to Courtney Brown. Now, you go back into the 90s, there's a lot of – it's funny how the game has changed. So much that you you didn't see as many quarterbacks the farther you go back going number one overall, but uh, the list is not very big going back to 2000. So when you think about Miles Garrett in that frame, did the Brown is he the best of that group?
0: Yes, he is definitely the the best of the non quarterback group, I believe, uh, to go number one overall, and that is why I think the Browns can feel good about making that pick given everything that was going on that year and knowing that they had to do something to, to sort of salvage a very difficult situation. Not, not only were, were Sashi and Hugh not on the same page. I mean, they were budding heads. I mean, there were sparks flying in, in Berea. So to come out of that draft with a guy that once again has, has challenged for NFL defensive player over the, of the year for the last two seasons I think that's I think that's pretty good now he he came down with COVID this past season and if that didn't happen he might have made a really strong case for NFL defensive player of the year I think it was kind of there for the taking I I kind of think he could have pulled it off so yeah I think out of that group he definitely is the best non-quarterback to go number one overall but let me ask you this, Dan, because I'm curious about this, too, if in, in a redo, in retrospect, 2020, of course. But should they have just taken Deshaun Watson at number one overall, the way that Dabo Sweeney, when I asked him about what if the Browns pass on Deshaun Watson at number one, and he said, it would be like passing on Michael Jordan. A lot of people kind of missed on Patrick Mahomes. A a lot of people did not know what Patrick Mahomes was going to be in the NFL. There was concern. There was concern about the system that he came out of. Okay. It was that air raid system. And he actually made it okay, I think, and paved the way a little bit for a guy like Baker Mayfield to go number one overall the next year, because it was like, okay, These guys can do this, but what about Deshaun? Should the Browns have taken and known that Deshaun Watson was what he was and gone with him at number one overall that year?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, let me give some love to Mario Williams here as I'm looking up his numbers. 97 and a half career sacks. Wow. Had a nice little career there, retiring at the the age of 31. But still, I I would take Miles uh, over, over Mario Williams. After I watched Deshaun Watson, you know, beat Alabama, it just stood out to me that this guy's special, this guy's different, and I really liked him. At the same time, I had concerns about him, too. I mean, he threw some really weird interceptions at Clemson at times. You know, I, I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't completely sold on him. I eventually talked myself into Miles Garrett, number one overall. Patrick Mahomes is kind of the same way. You watch some of those Texas Tech games, and it was like, what's going on here? And you kind of realize that he kind of knew he needed to score 60 points to even have a chance to win. So he was taking a lot of chances and he he was doing things that uh, maybe he wouldn't have otherwise done. I I think if if we're talking about Deshaun Watson, as great as he's become, I still probably would have gone Garrett number one. And the reality is they could have taken Watson at number 12. I mean, that's the real kicker in all of this. They could have had both and that's nothing against Baker Mayfield. People hear that and they say, Oh, I'd rather have Baker, whatever. It's nothing about Baker Mayfield. It's just, you had a chance to get miles Garrett and, Desha- and Deshaun Watson in the same draft and you didn't do it. And had Watson not torn his ACL, those picks you got wouldn't have been nearly as valuable. So it, it took some luck. It took some, some things to go your way for you to not only get Baker Mayfield, but also to get Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb uh, those two guys that, that you got out of those trades with Houston. So, you know, I personally, and obviously we're talking about this in hindsight, I think taking Miles Garrett was fine. Now that we kind of know what Patrick Mahomes is, yeah, obviously in any redraft, you're going to take him. And I think Watson would go number two. But I I just, I don't have an issue with it. I was a little nervous about some things with Watson turning the football over.
0: You know what? I I think when I look back on that year, you, you know, once again, it did work out very, very well for them. But I do think that it just goes to show you how important it is, how vitally important it is to have that kind of alignment in your organization where you're all on the same page, okay? So it gives you an opportunity to, when you look at the Chiefs that year, when Andy Reid and Brett Veach are working uh, in lockstep together, you know, they can get excited about a Patrick Mahomes, they can watch the film, they can work together, the coach and the GM. Actually, he was the assistant GM at the time, John Dorsey was still the GM, but It seems to be that Brett Veach was the one who sort of uh, was all in on on Patrick Mahomes. But it just shows you what happens when there is that synergy, when you're working together and not against each other. And they're lucky that it worked out the way that it did. They're very lucky uh, that it worked out that that Miles has lived up to expectations at number one overall, because I am of the mind that a good quarterback trumps a good quarterback premier edge rusher. And if you have, even if the if the premier quarterback isn't ranked as high as Miles, that you still go with the quarterback because that's your franchise changer. That's how you get to winning. You get to winning right away with a, a really good quarterback. So they locked out that actually that they went 0-16 that year. They locked out. Because if they don't do that, then they're not getting Baker Mayfield the next year, right? Now, they they, they might have ended up with Josh Allen, I suppose, right? I mean, there's so many things that could have happened, right? You know, I mean, who, who knows how they would have had him evaluated? We don't know. But they were fortunate that it worked out the way that it did, that they lost all those games that year. And they should, people that, people should be thanking Hugh Jackson for that, because right because I mean they wouldn't have ended up with the number one overall pick in 2018 they just would not have and that enabled them to choose the quarterback that they believe can get them to the promised land.
1: one other question on this and we'll move on to a couple other topics do you think Mahomes would have become Mahomes in Cleveland and do you think do you think Watson would have become Watson in Cleveland I actually wonder if Watson would have been better off coming here because he kind of operates i mean we've seen what he's done in houston <laughs> but you know i i do i do wonder like how much mahomes benefited sometimes we can overrate that that year that waiting time for a quarterback sometimes a guy's just good and he doesn't get a chance but i do wonder how much mahomes benefited from going to a place like kansas city sitting a year behind alex smith going into that system with andy reed mm-hmm. uh, you know i think mahomes would have been a Pretty good quarterback wherever he landed, but do you think either of those guys would have been the same guy they are now had they landed here?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, once again, you have to have organizational stability and alignment to support a young quarterback, and they didn't have it back then, so I don't know if I can honestly say I think they would have come in here and been able to do what they did. Uh, in the places that they were at, especially Patrick Mahomes with Andy Reid. That was the perfect storm for him. It still is the perfect storm for him. Andy Reid is perfect for Patrick Mahomes. I'm not 100% sure that would have, this would have been the right place for him. So it, it may have just worked out exactly the way that it was supposed to, uh, because I don't know that anybody would have had the wherewithal. And I, that's another thing. I think 100% for sure that this group felt that Patrick Mahomes was a little bit of a project, that he was going to have to come in here, and that he was going to have to get coached up, and that he was going to have to learn how to work in a pro-style offense, and that he was going to have to learn to slide protections and do all the other things that you have to do in this kind of an offense, in a pro-style offense, and so I think that was another huge thing, like, hey, we don't have time to We don't have time to mess around with, with that. Let's wait. There's a good quarterback class coming in 2018. So I think that was another factor. No, I, I don't really think that that it would have been a seamless transition for Patrick in this offense, the way that it was for him in Kansas city.
1: Okay. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we'll fly through a few topics here on our Hey Mary Kay podcast. And back on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, Mary Kay, let's get some updates on some things. And of course, you wrote about some stuff over the weekend. Cleveland.com slash Browns folks can find all of that. And let's just start with J.J. Watt and the latest there. You know, look, we put our Monday podcast up on Saturday because we weren't sure quite how quickly this J.J. Watt stuff was going to move. As we're recording this on Monday, nothing has really happened yet. But what's the latest right now on J.J. Watt and the Browns' chances of signing him?
0: Well, first of all, they were one of the first teams that that picked up the phone and talked to his representatives. Uh, they expressed interest right away. I, I think the number one desire for J.J. Watt would be to play with his brothers in Pittsburgh. I think that's what he wants. And so I don't know right now if it's a matter of them trying to move around the money. They have a cap deficit of about $27 million. I think he would take a brother a family discount to go play with his brothers in Pittsburgh. Not only TJ watt who those guys would be coming off the edge together and terrorizing quarterbacks, but his also his younger brother, Derek, who is a fullback for the Steelers. So for the three of those guys to play together, I think that's what he wants. But short of that, I think the Browns have a lot to offer. Now there are other teams that he has connections with and things that he would reasons why he would want to go to play for some of these other teams. Green Bay he's from Wisconsin they're a Super Bowl contender and then his wife plays soccer in Chicago professional women's soccer league in Chicago and so that would be one reason why he would want to play for the Bears but he wants to play for a contender he absolutely vocalized that last year he was very frustrated about about playing for a losing football team you get to a certain point in your career and you just want to win football games so that is huge So I think the number one thing would be to be in Pittsburgh with his brothers. Then after that, I think it's send me somewhere where I can win and where I can try to make it to a Super Bowl. Green Bay obviously would have that to offer, but I think the Browns are right in there in terms of things that, that he has on his list of things to, to check off the boxes, to check off. They have the money. They are a contender. They've got miles Garrett on the other side of him to take away the double teams. They've got a really good defensive line in general so that he would just be another amazing piece of a great offensive line. I mean, defensive line, Joe Woods features those edge rushers. He lets them eat. Right. I mean, it's like, go, you know, attack rush the quarterback. And, and I think that uh, it would be an opportunity for JJ to get back to double digit sacks here. I, I, I think with miles taking so much attention away from him, I think it would free him up uh, to really just get back to being a dominant pass rusher. I think the culture here would be very good for him. I think these guys love playing for this coaching staff, Dan, you know it. And I know it, it's not lip service. We are not making this up. They love playing for Kevin Stefanski. They love playing for Joe Woods and Chris Kiffin and the defensive line coach. This is a really cool coaching staff and the, and the, the vibe here is very good. Any free agent that has an opportunity to talk to anybody that plays for the Browns this year about what it would like be like to be here, they're going to get a glowing report, right? Do you agree with that, Dan?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, we, it's what we've talked about all season long, that culture change here, right? This isn't the same old Browns. It was the whole Juju Smith-Schuster thing. The Browns <laughs> is the Browns. And the whole point was, no, they're not really. This is a different football team. And I think the case you laid out there is there's other things that could draw jj watt to other places but mm-hmm. if we're just boiling this down to a strictly football decision the browns belong in the same sentence as any of the other teams mm-hmm. there right with green bay with i mean i would they'd be ahead of chicago mm-hmm. they'd be ahead of pittsburgh it's really there aren't a lot of teams that can offer what the browns can offer just from a strictly football perspective so it'll be really interesting to see sort of how jj prioritizes all of those things in this decision. He's going to put those cards on the table when he makes it for sure.
0: And the thing about it is when you go into a situation like this and all of a sudden you find yourself free to sign with any team, you might not know certain things about a football team, right? You have to do your due diligence. You have to do your homework. You have to dig in. You have to start talking. And The Browns, if they had to like sit down and do a little PowerPoint on a Zoom with J.J. Watt, I think they would do a tremendous job of selling him on the city of Cleveland, which is, you know, it's the Midwest, what he's used to. It's close to Pittsburgh. So if you can't be in Pittsburgh, you're only two hour drive away from your two brothers and their families. And I mean, you could even go over there, you know for Thanksgiving, if you wanted to, (laughs) right. I mean, it's that close. You know, I think if they had to be, if they had to give a presentation, I think they would knock it out of the park. And I think you'd have guys like Miles Garrett saying, Hey, you would love it here. You would love this defense. You would love working, you know, with me, with Sheldon, you know, with Andrew Billings coming back. I, I just think that that they have a lot to offer J.J. Watt. And if he really takes the time to listen to what the Browns are saying, he's going to like what he hears.
1: And I feel like if Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski sat down and gave a presentation, it would be right to it. There wouldn't be any messing around. There wouldn't be any fluff. It would be, this is what you're going to do if you come to Cleveland. You know, So, so why wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. But yeah, the Browns. And the thing about Miles, too, is I don't think he's a guy that's like, I think he'll welcome anybody with open arms. You do want to come and help him rush the passer. He's going to welcome you. It doesn't matter who you are or, or anything. He's just, he's not like, I have to be the star. I have to be the center of attention type of guy. So I, I think that helps here too. Another veteran name that you mentioned and wrote about this weekend was Richard Sherman in a very different way. It appears the Browns are not interested in the veteran cornerback. So here's what I'm wondering. Are you getting the sense that the Browns are banking on greedy Williams? to be their starter next year, or could they go in it? Is it just that Richard Sherman's not a guy that they're interested in?
0: You know what? Again, I made a lot of phone calls on this. I did a lot of, uh, I did a lot of leg work trying to figure this one out because you and I talked a lot about JJ Watt versus Richard Sherman last, last week. And what, would be good and what they might do and might not do. And I came away with the sense that it's not that they don't like Richard Sherman. I mean, what's not to like, I mean, he's a five-time pro bowler. He played for Joe woods. He brings that fire. He brings that energy. But I just think once you get to the age of 33 uh, for a cornerback, you just start to to get to that point where if you're going to be signing somebody for a lot of money, you're going to want to go younger at that position. Now you might say JJ Watts about to turn 32. There's a different amount of ground you have to cover when you're a cornerback, as opposed to a pass rusher, right? I mean, you've got to be able to sprint down the field with the fastest receivers in the NFL. Now, you could, also, you could always think about, you know, switching him to safety. Uh, but for whatever reason right now, I just haven't gotten a strong vibe uh, that he is really on their radar. And usually by now, even though team, even though players are not supposed to have a great handle or vibe on who might want to sign them, they do. And, and right now I'm, I'm just not necessarily 100% 100 feeling it in that regard. Now that could change. I mean, that, that could change and I could look like a fool and they could sign Richard Sherman, but heading into it at this moment, I think that they would probably be trying to go a little bit younger at cornerback. I think they'll try to re-sign Terrence Mitchell. I think they'll try to re-sign Kevin Johnson. I think they are counting on Greedy Williams to a degree, but also knowing they have to have some plan Bs. And then I think they will look at cornerbacks in free agency, but I think they'll be going more in the mid sort of 20, mid to later 20 range.
1: Last question here, Odell Beckham Jr. We're going to spend a lot of time on Odell Beckham Jr. next week. He's our our next guy up for bark week, but Uh, He's always going to be a topic of conversation. And I don't know, I'm just getting the sense in the way I'm seeing Browns fans talk about Odell and the way I'm seeing, you know, you wrote about it, obviously, over the weekend and just the way I'm seeing people talk about Odell Beckham. It seems like there's at least some momentum for the Browns to make some phone calls and see what they could get back for, for Beckham. Is that the sense you're getting?
0: Yes, I mean, it's different than it was last year. Last year, Andrew Berry got somewhat annoyed at us when we asked him time and again, would you think about trading Odell Beckham Jr.? Remember that? I mean, we were at the combine and I even asked him that question and he said, well, of course we would listen to all offers, but he's a valued member of our future and basically we have no plans of trading him, okay? And that was the consistent message. We asked him again on draft day. And, you know, it kept coming at him. And he did get to the point where he was like, enough already. We're not trading Odell. I don't think that that's the case this year. And why do I believe that? Because he has a $15.75 million salary for 2021. And it's not that they don't like him because they do like him. He got close with Kevin Stefanski. He's good friends with everybody on the team. His teammates love him. He's, he's even close with Baker Mayfield, even though they had still had not really developed that chemistry yet on the field. They're friends off the field. He's obviously still best friends with Jarvis Landry. So it's, it's none of that. It's just the fact that they demonstrated that they could win games without him and that this offense, they can spread the ball around to so many different people that they don't necessarily need. Odell Beckham Jr. at this time in his career making 15.75 million dollars to be on this team at this time if he is on the team he'll flourish he'll do great he'll make the pro bowl probably and he'll catch a lot of balls but I think what's different from last offseason to this offseason is that they will entertain offers this year they will entertain offers and I don't know that, I mean, I don't necessarily think that they're, they're going to start getting on the phone and calling 32 teams and say, take this guy off our hands. It's not like that. But if someone calls them and makes an offer that they can't refuse, I think they will be more inclined to listen this season.
1: So the other thing I've been thinking about, because we had this discussion with Scott on the pod last week, when we were talking about internal free agents, right? That the Browns could resign. And of course, one of those guys is Rashard Higgins. Mm-hmm. And earlier you talked about kind of everything being aligned. And we know what this offense looks like. And it started to get me thinking, if you're an offense that only uses three receivers all the time, how much money can you actually have tied up in wide receivers? If you're paying Jarvis Landry, you're paying Odell Beckham, maybe you start paying Richard Higgins a decent amount of money, or if you let him walk, bring in another free agent. Is that something they sort of have to consider here? Or is, are, are they just not to that point yet when it comes to managing the cap and managing the roster?
0: They are actually to the point where they do need to think about how much money they are shelling out to their receivers. They have to think about it. Why do they have to think about it this year? Because the cap could fall to its collectively bargained COVID marred floor of $175 million this off season. That is almost 20. That's like 20, whatever, $2 million less than it is right now. So they have to be, Uh, they have to be very judicious about how they're spending their money. Jarvis is set to make almost $15 million and Odell is set to make almost $16 million. And as we've mentioned so many times before, there really aren't enough footballs to go around in the passing game right now for all the people that they have willing and ready to catch the ball. They just, I mean, do you really need to pay somebody $16 million if they're going to catch 50 passes? I mean, you could probably accomplish that a lot, cheaper and you know then you've also got Donovan Peoples-Jones ready to take the next step you know you've got some other guys you can draft somebody I I think that they will at least think about it what I don't think they'll do this year is let Jarvis go I know there's been some talk and some people wondering about that because he's up there in that stratosphere as well right set to make almost 15 million dollars or cap hit about 15 million dollars next year and he only has three million dollars in dead cap money Whereas Odell, uh, he already has almost $13 guaranteed for injury next year. So you have to trade him. You can't just like part ways with him. Mm -hmm. Jarvis, on the other hand, you'd only have $3 million in dead cap space, which is almost nothing if you decided to go in another direction. But I don't see that happening at all. I see him being here and being another core piece of that receiver room and the leader of that receiver room. Whether Odell is with him or not remains to be seen. I don't think they're rushing out to try to move him, as I mentioned before, but I think they will at least listen. I think Jarvis will be here.
1: There we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast covered everything here on this one from Miles Garrett in the 2017 draft to uh, the latest on JJ Watt. Odell Beckham, all of that good stuff. Make sure you check out Bark Week all week. It's Miles Garrett this week. We're going to be doing a new player every single week moving forward here. So make sure you hit cleveland.com slash Browns for that. And some of that stuff, you're going to have to be a football insider to read. So there's a big blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that to get information and get signed up. Uh, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later.
0: Sounds good.